And I think that inattention is the enemy here. Uh, and it's, there's so many distractions in modern life that the big picture, uh, there's no one thinking about the big picture, unfortunately. And it is up to us. They, that is unfortunately part of, of adulthood is realizing, okay, there's really no one else looking out for us. We're looking out for the world, the whole world and looking out for the future generations. And that's a very, at first an extremely alarming uh, realization. And then it's, as you say, then it's, let's get down to doing it. We're just going to have to do it ourselves. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Elizabeth Colbert presents a practical adult perspective on the environment. This is what's happening without fanfare, without sensationalism, something that adults can act on. I highly recommend her book, The Sixth Extinction, for which she won the Pulitzer Prize. And I highly recommend reading her many articles in The New Yorker in which she treats these environmental issues, often adding a human element, a historical perspective, but not telling you what to think. She leaves that to you, which makes it haunting, often difficult to read, but critically important. This interview presented a classic challenge that people who care the most and have acted the most on the environment have the least to change, which makes taking on a personal challenge difficult. However, the goal of this podcast is not some Disney fantasy that it's all easy for everybody, but how things work for people with difficult challenges, presumably like many of you. She's also a woman of few words, so I probably talked a bit too much. I hope that's okay, Elizabeth. In any case, I urge you to listen and hear our perspective and discussion on the environment. I suspect that her challenges will be like many of yours. This is the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Elizabeth Colbert. Elizabeth, how are you? Uh, pretty well, thanks. And the way that I met you, if you don't mind my sharing, is I read The Sixth Extinction and then realized that I'd been reading stuff by you without really paying attention to the byline in The New Yorker for a while. And then I saw that you spoke at the new school near me and I went there with the intent of meeting you and uh, because your stuff is it's really moving to read. Thank you. You're welcome, I guess. It's, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to characterize it if it's okay with you, and, and I'd love to get your comments on it, that the stuff you write about feels to me, which are things like uh, birth and population and extinctions and overfishing and carbon capture. And from the point of view of someone who cares about and thinks about the environment, what we're doing to it and what we can do about it, it's very compelling. These are the topics that I wish people talked about more. But when I read them, it's like there's a reason people don't talk about it because it's like we're sleepwalking into mistakes that we know are going to happen and it keeps happening. And so it's this, sorry if I'm talking too long, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's reading that I find very compelling. And there's always these little turns of phrases that I find that sometimes really funny. Meanwhile, Thank you. I figure you, it sounds like you have a lot of fun with the language. Well, I like language. Writers, journalists generally like language, yeah. So that is one of the pleasures of the profession. Mm -hmm. I picked one that was uh, 
you're reviewing a bunch of books that talked about the morality of having children. Mm-hmm. Talking about the population, what it could be. You said no one in his right mind supposes that it could reach 64 billion without horrific consequences, except perhaps a few econ- economists. <laughs> yes, my dear economist. Yeah. Yeah, I, that one. I was like, that one's <laughs> on the air. <laughs> so it feels like you're writing about stuff that's incredibly important, but is off people's charts since they don't really think about it. And then when you read it, it's both compelling and depressing, but fun and funny. Is that what you're writing? Is that what you're doing? You know, what does one do? I mean, one, I guess I would say I write about things that I, th- I think are important and I think people should know about. But as you say, they're not issues, generally speaking, that make for nice, you know, for chit chat or small talk or the sorts of things that people want to read. So you have to try to figure out how to get people into a story that they might not say instinctively that they're really interested in. And I think that that's a very common problem for journalists and people have very different, you know, have different strategies for dealing with that. It's, you know, the key insight of say a people magazine or a national Enquirer, or whatever is, you know, we, we were, were very interested in reading about Brangelina, it's, you know, but, or, or we were at least until they, broke that one up. But, you know, there are a lot of topics, any, anything else, almost anything else is, is not as attractive. So how do you get people to, to read on? And the, the, that's especially in an increasingly crowded media world. So that's a problem everyone's grappling with, not just people like me who write about, you know, what are conventionally considered depressing topics. It's funny that when I read it, I feel like you're writing stuff that if I don't really think about it too much, I just think, okay, this is a story. But if I think about it, then it does. Depressing isn't the right word. It's alternately outraged and alternately confused and really evokes a lot of emotions, partly because I feel like you present it very matter-of-factly and you leave it to me to conjure up all these emotions. Well, I appreciate that. I try, I mean, there are lots of ways to write about any issues. And, you know, one way is to write much more of a, where the author's opinions and, you know, more of a polemic, I guess I would call it. And I, I love polemics, so I'm, I have nothing against polemics. It just, just doesn't happen to be how I feel most comfortable writing. So I would rather leave it to you. And, you know, part of often what I'm trying to leave people with is a sense of, you know, oh my God, I didn't realize that. Oh my God, you know, what, what the hell is going on here? Because some, a lot of what's going on on planet earth right now is so astonishing really. And you opened this podcast by talking about our sleepwalking into some really dangerous territory. And I think that that is unfortunately a very good metaphor. We're just worrying about, and especially nowadays with, you know, the outrage of the day, the, the horror of the day that we wake up and, and read the headlines on. But meanwhile, these huge, huge changes on planet Earth are occurring without anyone really paying, no, I shouldn't say anyone, without most people really paying attention. How's that? Yeah, it's that paying attention part. Is, I mean, that's a big thing that's motivating me into, you know, we, well, the big thing that motivated me was seeing that we have a government that's like happy to plunder in, you know, step on the gas as we're like approaching the wall. Yeah. And I said, I can't, wait anymore. I can't mm-hmm. wait for others to step up. And I don't know exactly how effective I'll be, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And amid 
all the sleepwalking, you always present a human side. Not all, I think you generally present a human side of people who really do care and really are trying their best and are deeply passionate going, you know, swimming upstream. But you hope that what they do will pick up or that people catch on, but it doesn't seem like that's happening. But they sound like very engaging people. I think you must have enjoyable conversations with them. Yes. I mean, in that sense, my job is a great, I mean, in, in most senses, my job is a great job, but, but nine times out of 10, I go to meet someone and they're a really interesting person. And I often go to really interesting places and I always, 10 times out of 10, I, I learn a lot, you know, so I'm constantly getting, I'm constantly learning about new things. So it's, it's a great, great part of the job. When I look at your background, it doesn't look like you were into science when you were in school. And it seems to be like a deep passion of yours that you've gone into depth with. And I think a bunch of people listening to this podcast will be people who generally don't have that much of a science background, but do care about something. Did I get it right? Did you learn this on the job? Is it, or did you have a background that I didn't pick up on? <laughs> no, I have no science background or very little. I'm a, I took one semester of physics in college and I bailed out of science pretty quickly. So I am really a lay person completely. And I think that that at times, you know, is difficult for me when I'm dealing with really complicated science. And, you know, very often I've had, you know, very eminent people explain, you know, very basic science to me, and they've generally been very generous about that. But I think that you know, what I bring to it is what I'm sure most of your podcast listeners bring to it is a curiosity. And I think that, you know, all science really is, is a methodology on some level, which is a very, very, very powerful methodology as we found. And as we all are, you know, virtually every aspect of modern life has been determined by people using this methodology. And it's very frustrating to me, once again, not as a scientist even, but you know, a, the kind of anti-scientific attitude that prevails in Washington, D.C. now is, I think, extremely frightening because it's a really a rejection of our best attempts to understand, you know, this world that we live in. And to reject that is really to, once again, gets back to this idea, it's, it's worse than sleepwalking. It's, it's actively putting blinkers on yourself. Yeah, I, plundering is the word that comes to mind. Yes, I think that's a good word. I think it's a very good word. And you know, part of the reason I'm asking is that about your interest in science or your how it's developed is I think a lot of people they they're oh that looks really complicated. And so in DC they're like, we don't care. Like we want to do what we want to do. Right. But even right. people at home are, you know, okay, so we pulled out of Paris. I'm not happy about that. But we wouldn't need Paris if people weren't polluting as much as they are. And you can talk about industries and so forth, but of what people have responsibility for themselves. Like, I don't want to, how do I put it? I don't want to allow people's innumeracy to excuse them from their responsibility. Or alternatively, as a teacher of leadership, I want people to find what I found, which is that more responsibility I take for my actions, the better my life becomes, even though it doesn't look like that before I do it. Yes, we're drowning in, you know, sort of innumeracy. You know, the really tremendous challenge of climate change is that, you know, the fact is, I should say, I guess, you know, everyone here in the U.S., we're all terribly big emitters, you know, almost just by virtue of 
you know, getting up and getting in our cars and doing things that we consider terribly, terribly ordinary. And so for individuals to, and this is where, you know, the numbers parts does get very, very daunting for individuals to dramatically, like for an American, even to approach just what a European emits, most people, not all, but most people probably have, you know, fairly dramatically change their lives. And people are loath to do that when they don't see anyone else doing it. And that is why, you know, when people ask me what they should do about this, you know, I do advocate always taking the steps that an individual can take to cut his or her carbon emissions. But I also think, but I think more, more significantly, I've sort of come to the conclusion, we really need political action. We need collective political action. We need to change our energy systems. We need to change our transportation systems. And that's not going to be done, you know, one person at a time. Yeah. So I don't know if you got the chance to listen to the episode zero that I posted about what this podcast is about. Can I share a little bit? I'm not sure how much of it I got to tell you when we met. No. Yeah, go ahead. So I want to add that there's global warming. And even if you don't believe in global warming, there's all these other issues of overpopulation and pollution and just litter. And, you know, you don't want mercury in your fish and things like that. So there's like, pick your topic. There's plenty (laughs) of these things. Yeah. And, you know, I've had a couple of guests who are like, really, I don't believe in global warming. I think, you know, since the dawn of time, there's always been people saying there's doom right ahead. And this just happens to be the flavor of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they don't like litter. They don't like pollution. So there's stuff that they can still connect with. Mm -hmm. And for me, I agree that only when we get political change, that when we have something like a carbon tax, which I believe should be called a pollution tax or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. an externality tax. Yes, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, language really makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I come from a very systems perspective that Limits Mm -hmm. to Growth is a very influential book for me. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. if that was one for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of changes. Like if we changed all the technology for renewables and we had no more fossil fuels Mm -hmm. uh, and lots of things like that, we would still hit all these other problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so those are all elements of a system to me. And at the top of the system of like the the key leverage point is the beliefs that are driving the system, the goals of the system, Mm -hmm. which our goals tend to be growth, Mm-hmm. especially of GDP, which by mainstream perspective means population growth, which means exponential growth, which means mm-hmm. you swamp everything. Mm-hmm. And there's also this thing of, of a strong belief of me, like I want to go to Paris. Right. I want to see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it pollutes, but I want to do it. Right. And what I'm trying to do is get people to act, to change, and to go through some changes that I went through of experiencing that when you do these things, take responsibility and act on what you value, mm-hmm. your life gets better. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. depriving myself in all these fresh vegetables and fruit that I'm eating. It's more delicious than ever. And I had no idea before I did it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think also to get people, we've heard a lot from scientists and I have a science background. I value science, but I don't think scientists are particularly influential. And I don't think people are very much looking to, they, they say we want to hear what scientists say, but I've read the IP or I've, I've seen <laughs> right. the IPCC, the working group one mm-hmm. talking about what's going on and the physical background for why we've come to the conclusions we have. It's like pretty tough to read. Yeah, absolutely. And we like to watch movies with Leonardo DiCaprio in them and with Al Gore in them. And I want to get those people to change themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a big message of like, everyone should change. And the long-term goal is partly to get the change. 
but partly to get the votes mm-hmm. so that it's an easy job to pass these laws. Because right now, people talk about wanting to change, but I don't see Americans changing. And mm-hmm. I think politicians know when someone says one thing and does another, which way mm-hmm. they'll vote. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a dismaying thought. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what I hope to happen is have people, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning writers from The New Yorker to be guests, but, you know, hopefully Leonardo DiCaprio too at some point and have mm-hmm. them take on a personal challenge based on what they value and then share, hopefully for people to listen, to hear their experience, to hear their struggles or mm-hmm. to hear that it's easy. Mm-hmm. And hopefully change the goals and beliefs of the system. Yes, I think that that is a very, very compelling point. How's that? I mean, I think, <laughs> no, I, I do. I think that there's very little pushing back against the values of our consumer culture. And, um, you know, that's, yeah, perhaps the reason, part of the reason we're in the mess we're in. Yeah, I think that if we... It looks now like the population may level off, say, 10 billion, 11 billion. Yeah, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. But let's say we do that and we get all these renewables way ahead of time and we clean a lot of stuff up. I'm pretty sure that if we don't change the beliefs driving things, that we'll then get to 12 and 13 because Mm -hmm. we're we're predicting based on, I mean, things will change. We'll have to make new predictions. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the ultimate questions, and we're we're unfortunately going to find that out, is... uh, you know, whether that's possible, you know, we're, we're, we stand on finding out. It's not clear. I mean, once again, it's not clear what the limits to growth here are, I guess. We seem to be intent on probing them. Yeah. Or sleepwalking toward them because we can't yeah. tell, what we're, we can't stop ourselves. Or we're right. reflecting as a species. Right. And well, I mean, I do think that, you know, once you, you know, we're, we're sort of this super organism now and we're, you know, we're not one thing. We're not one. There are many, many forces in the world right now driving this truck. You know, it's, it's like many people fighting over driving a truck, but where's the truck going to end up? It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have a happy ending, you know, but it's not, there's no one in control of this, of this trajectory. And when you realize that, and I guess that's part of adulthood, realizing it, and you realize it in more and more ways. And one of the things that's, I think, extremely you know, scary about uh, what's happening right now in Washington is you realize there's no one in control of that. Our, our elected officials have always tried to at least give the impression that they knew what was going on, but we don't even have that anymore. Yeah. So we are in sort of uncharted territory here. Yeah. And, you know, your carbon capture piece in last this week's New Yorker mm-hmm. ended with, you know, people are like, we need this and let's project what happens if we get it as if right. the need would create the solution. Yeah. And we see that sort of thinking a lot now, I think, because, because we do need these solutions and, you know, sometimes need does act, you know, mother, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So let us pray uh, that that is in fact true. Yeah. It's sort of, it feels like Lamarckian evolution. Like, yes, it, it does have, right. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it, there's a heavy dose of magical thinking, even yeah. among very, very, very rational people. And I talked to a lot of people about how I've chosen to go for a year without flying. Uh I commend you, commend you for that. Well, I I have to say, it's been one of the best things I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm now in month 19 or 20, and I'm Mm -hmm. getting more adventure and more culture and cuisine than I was before because I'm actively making it happen as opposed to just like going and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to people about not flying, by far, 
everyone comes back with, oh, yes, easy for you, but I have family all over the world and I have a job and all this stuff of like how they're special snowflakes. Mm-hmm. And that they, mm-hmm. you know, but there's also a current I get a lot of, you know, I don't want to pollute and someone should invent a solar powered airplane. They haven't yet, <laughs> right. but you right. can't blame me for them not having invented it. Right. And that magical, wishful thinking, it doesn't change the plane that they're getting on is jet fuel. Yeah. And so I think a lot, you know, another thing that I'm trying to work around or work against actually is that I think a lot of people say they make other people feel guilty and, mm-hmm. or, they, or people feel themselves guilty without anyone else doing it. And then they don't go toward it and you go toward it. You treat these things like, let's look at this and what's going on and what's the story here. But I think a lot of people would rather just be like, I hope this works out, but I gotta, do, <laughs> I gotta do my life. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you know, I, have the, as it were, you know, this is my profession. This is what I, you know, this is what I do for a living and everyone is out there or most people are out there doing something for a living and they have their responsibilities. So it's not like I in no way hold myself up as, you know, particularly unusual in any way. This is just happens that this is what I do for a living, which is, you know, and, and many journalists do, you know, which is, try to shine a light on things that, you know, people might not know about or might not, or might prefer not to think about or all all those uh, possibilities, you know, but everyone is busy also doing their own, you know, fulfilling their own responsibilities. So I, there's a lot of competition for people's attention and I don't in any way, you know, I understand why everybody is very busy trying to fulfill their own obligations. I think that it gets back to why I do really blame our political culture, which is, you know, we do elect people to set priorities and to look at the big picture. And increasingly, you know, maybe that never really happened, but it seems like increasingly that doesn't happen. And they're also really, once again, just looking after very narrow interests and no one has the public interest at heart. And that is very terrifying, actually. Well, I hope to decrease your terror because that's what I'm jumping into with <laughs> well, first good. the deep end. <laughs> good. And I think you should have our light. You try to get some of our, you know, elected officials on this on this podcast and, and talk to them about these issues and how can we change the political culture. Yeah, I really want to do that. And after we speak, I'll probably talk to you about if you have connections to any of them. I spoke sure. to Bill McKibben a little while ago mm-hmm. and he's in the middle of a whole book thing, so it'll be a little while before he's on. But a year ago when we elected our new president and I saw the writing on the wall, I said, I got to do something. And then I realized most big changes of this sort and the names that come to mind are Mandela and Gandhi and Vaclav Havel and King, that they came from outside government. Mm -hmm. Ultimately they maybe became president of South Africa or they helped get the civil rights acts passed, but they Mm -hmm. started with citizens acting. And I said, Oh yeah, I can do that. Well, actually, I started by thinking, all right, I'm going to be the, the Martin Luther King of the environment. And as a professor at NYU, I could get space in Manhattan. I did a series of talks, mostly to graduates of my courses and clients and things. And boy, did I realize quickly that I wasn't prepared for speaking to groups because it was just an emotional minefield of people just criticizing, you know, don't tell me what to do and all this stuff. And it took a while to realize Working one on one, you know. I actually, the way I put it is, Martin Luther King didn't start with "I Have a Dream" either. He started mm-hmm. with the Montgomery bus boycott, which was. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Montgomery is. I mean, I know it's in Alabama, but mm-hmm. I realized I think you have to start with the grunt work mm-hmm. and working one on one with people, 
and that the podcast emerged out of that, but I, I, maybe it'll turn into a Ted talk. I'm not sure, but Mm -hmm. I, you know, I hope to reach the people who are setting the tone of you talk about politicians. I definitely agree with that because I think a carbon slash pollution slash externality tax would be one of the big things, certainly Mm -hmm. going back into Paris and strengthening that as opposed to pulling back on that, but also Mm -hmm. to get you and me to think, I don't want to get, like if I became like Sergey and Larry, I'm not like, hopefully they'll get rid of their 737. Mm-hmm. And then people with a mere billion dollars will say like, I, these guys are set in yeah. tone. I don't want to be the one. If they're acting personally like Google, like, I don't know, I think they want to make Google carbon neutral. So if, yeah. they're, if they're also becoming carbon neutral, then I kind of have to too. And then all yeah, of Although you really have to look into, um, you know, what, what they mean by carbon neutral. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think there's a lot of, yeah, what do you exactly. say by carbon units and it's not really exactly. Yeah. Feeling inspired. Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk, read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Well, the thing that I'm finding from the podcast is that when people act on their beliefs, the big thing that I'm finding, and I hope that you will take on a challenge and we'll get to talk a second time to hear how it goes, that there's this mindset shift of, oh, this wasn't as hard as I thought, or it was hard, but worth it. And I wish I'd done it earlier. And Mm -hmm. I'd love for that to be, you know, I'd love for Elon, Oprah, whatever, to be on (laughs) saying like, oh, let's change I wish I'd done it earlier. I, yeah. That 100,000 square foot house wasn't so necessary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on your side, I'm curious what motivates you because I can easily see how you could become despondent or see things as futile, but I think there's a fun in what you do, but I'm not sure. Is curiosity? <laughs> the writing is so, every now and then it's just, I'm like, that. I just laughed out loud. Oh, well, thank you. What motivates me? That's a really good question. I guess I'm going to be frank and say it's not, I don't have a lot of confidence in my ability to really impact the conversation or the direction of the world at this point. But I guess what motivates me is a, you know, it's a long strain of a long tradition of sort of, you know, bearing witness, I guess is is the best, maybe the way I would say, like, I think someone should be recording, you know, what's going on here, even if it's not going to, change things at least they'll sort of be be a record so like uh i mean rachel carson comes to mind or bill mckibben i guess is more active well i mean rachel carson you know silent spring really did change the course of history you know i mean i i think surprised even rachel carson how much attention it got and how it was translated into legislative action so she's actually an example i think of of someone who you know, through her writing really did change things. So I, I mean, every writer aspires to that, but I, you know, don't really delude myself into thinking that I am going to have that kind of an impact. Oh, well, I don't want to like sound like I'm spreading sunshine for no reason. But yeah. Your stuff, you cover what no one's covering. And I consider that essential. If I didn't read your stuff, you say your science background isn't so strong. Or didn't, I guess maybe your training wasn't so strong in, in formal education, but 
you're getting into the stuff that I read. I'm like, this is what I need to know. This is like, what's going on here? And what is the status of things? I find it, and it's engaging to read. Like, I don't want to, it's IPCC report, not so engaging. Well, I appreciate that. But that doesn't mean that it, I mean, I definitely do try to write things that I think people ought to know. But as I say, the question of what happens next and whether, you know, anything measurably changes because of that. I don't think you can really go into this, into journalism. You know, some people probably do, but I, I think that's, it's probably not, you know, occasionally a story really, you know, rocks the world. And, you know, we're certainly seeing a lot of that right now, a lot of stories rocking the world, but you, you just never know what the impact of what you're writing is going to be. So you kind of have to write for, I think, for a somewhat different reason. Well, I hope to fill in that gap of, to me, the missing piece is leadership in the style of Mandela and people like that. Mm-hmm. And that's a big mantle, but if no one else is doing it, I'll do the best I can. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then I want to pass that off to, I want to give the people who are the real, you know, the first name people of like Elon and Oprah and the mm-hmm. people like that mm-hmm. and give mm-hmm. them the opportunity because they're already there to be the leaders that everyone follows mm-hmm. and to set the, to be, you know, Mandela was the father of a nation. These could be the mothers and fathers of the new values if we pull out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Elizabeth Colberts, who a lot of people read her stuff and keep reading it and give you a chance to do a little bit of leading by example if you're up for it. <laughs> <laughs> by which you mean? Well, well, let me ask one more thing. Yeah. What do you care about the environment? I mean, there's so many answers it could be. What do I care about it? Yeah, Why do I care about it? In that sense of like, I presume there's something you care about. There's well, I think, it. yeah. I mean, it's overdetermined, as they say. I mean, I care about, I think that it's a, it combines an ethical, you know, system, I suppose, and an aesthetic and, you know, perhaps even quasi-spiritual. I mean, I think that the world, you know, the world, we have inherited a world that, is, you know, the living world that's the product of, you know, almost 4 billion years of evolution. And to unravel that, you know, in the course of a couple of human lifetimes seems very, very, you know, as I said in that Jonathan Shell lecture that we met after, terrible legacy to leave for one species. So I guess that is really what motivates me, you know, kind of... Um, a protection of living things in the grandest way. And once again, I'm no expert on, you know, any particular species or, and I'm not, you know, a conservation biologist, but I believe that that's what the world is. I guess that's what we've got. We've got, you know, life on earth. And if we're not interested in protecting that, really, what are we interested in protecting? So this resonates with me that, I mean, you start off by saying ethical, but the next one, aesthetic, which I take, a beauty of nature, especially of life mm-hmm. and protecting it. Yeah. I mean, certainly the beauty of nature got me into physics mm-hmm. and then seeing the protection and the what's going on is, mm-hmm. is what moved me from physics into environment, environmental awareness, but then action. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that like got it started? Or was it like from childhood or was it something that you yeah. No, I don't have, I can't really point to this was it. You know. mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious. And then, yeah, no, I, I wish I had a good story there. Yeah. And it sounds like, like when you're off researching about frogs and observing what's going on, that you're probably, that's what you're doing. It's like documenting the beauty of nature that you see. 
Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm trying to. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to pursue that to, to get what motivated you. So what I was alluding to just before that was if you're up for a challenge, because what I aim to do with this podcast is to get people, influential people who care about the environment to mm-hmm. take on a personal challenge and mm-hmm. something according to their values. There's a few things that I found out by their values, something that they weren't already doing. Yeah. Something that they do themselves. So it can't be telling someone else what to do or, yeah. and then if wow. they go for it at their option, then the next time we talk to share how it went hmm. and like spoiler alert, people tend to like it. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's hard at the beginning. I have to confess I'm flummoxed because I, you know, those things that I could do, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time and those things that I, you know, as it were challenges that I would take on, I've sort of already taken on. So, and those, you know, and I, as I said, I really admire your not flying, but I don't think I can take that on because oh, I, I couldn't have, have taken on. Yeah. I can tell you that the hard things job you know, that uh, demands it. So I'd have to quit my job and I'm not ready to do that for the sake of, of this podcast, to be frank. So I don't have something off the top of my head. I may have to get back to you on that one. Yeah. What have people taken on? Tell me what people have taken on and I'll tell you. Yeah. By far they've taken on simple things that mm-hmm. have led to other things if they get into it. So okay. like the, a student of mine took something that I do. I pick up a piece of trash every day mm-hmm. and put it in the trash or okay. recycling. If there's, I know all the external outside recycling bins around my neighborhood, because if I'm near a recycling thing, mm-hmm. I'll preferentially pick up paper or metal. So yeah. recycling as opposed to just trash. Yeah. Some people are eating meat less mm-hmm. or, uh, favoring public transportation for instead of cars for a month, or some people over the summer were not using the air conditioner for a while. One guy with a he's got this Jaguar that was like his dream car, and he decided he was only going to drive 100 kilometers a month, which is very little for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow! Well, some um, people are bringing bags with them to the store, which they had yeah. been meaning to do forever but never got around to, and now this is their chance to do it. Yeah, you see, that's my problem. I I tried to do all this. (laughs) I don't have air conditioning. I'm trying to think what I could possibly uh, add to the list. Um, It's a funny thing that my friend who works at this big oil company, it's very easy for him to find stuff. So easy. Yeah. It's more challenging when you've done the things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wow, 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 wow. What could I I meaningfully do? I'll think of some other, yeah. I mean, one guy's composting and he never composted before. No, of um, compost, you know. Someone else was going to compost and is, is, turns out there's a pig farm pickup place that he's, I don't know, it's kind of like composting, but it's going to fix. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to think about some of something that I have not, that I'm not doing. <laughs> oh, one guy was, he was originally going to carpool. I'm sorry, he was going to take public transportation. He lives in outside Charlottesville. And it turned out that it was keeping him away from his family too much. He sat down with his family and they came up with carpooling his kids. And it ended up being that the problem with carpooling was it's taken him away from his kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By, sorry, I live uh, near a firehouse, if you could hear that. And um, he sits down with his family and he says, I don't want to spend time away from you. What can we do instead? And they came up with carpooling, mm-hmm. which was he ended up spending extra time with his kids and getting to meet his kids' friends. And mm-hmm. doing a lot less, he made a point of less packaging with his food. Oh, that's another big one. Is mm-hmm. that for me, the big action that I did to start this for me was to go for a week without getting any food 
where I would have to throw away packaging afterward. Mm-hmm. And that's what led me to eating all these fresh fruits and vegetables and learning how to <laughs> cook from scratch. Which actually, you know, you teach, I teach, and it's the last class of the semester for this one class. And it's adult classes, so they're adult students. So they've, um, after this, I'm hosting dinner with my class because mm-hmm. it's a class in systems thinking. And so I talk a lot about environmental stuff and food just worked out to be a part of it. Well, I guess a good challenge would be purchasing stuff. I know I don't purchase a lot of stuff, but I could try to not purchase anything for besides food. Is that, I guess that would be a. Yeah, I have a couple of people did. Um, one guy gets. I'm not yet willing to give up on food. As a, I mean, yeah, if it works for you, it made me think of one guy who drinks a lot of coffee and he just went, I think, a month with only getting it in mugs and so mm-hmm. go to Starbucks, but I guess they have non-disposable stuff and who would insist on mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Ended up building relationships. It's funny because he described himself as an introvert who's not good with talking with people. Mm-hmm. Ended up making mm-hmm. relationships with these um, baristas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, you see, none of those things, I, I live out in the country, so I don't go to Starbucks. So I can't, I would be, a, I could certainly go for a month or take out coffee, but it would not really be at all. I wouldn't be doing anything. So um, it doesn't really seem fair. And unfortunately, I guess I should say I know too much and I know where our real impacts are and they're not in coffee cups, you know? So I had to think what I could do that would have a real impact that I'm not already doing and nothing, as I say, nothing very dramatic that is within my power. Because as I say, I've thought about this a lot, a lot for 10 years is coming to mind. So I have to, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. Well, I'll mention one last thing okay. before that. I think a lot of people, including myself, are troubled with, if it doesn't make a difference, then it's not worth doing. And I, yeah. I strongly believe that mm-hmm. I do not like the message, here's one little thing that you can do for the environment. Mm-hmm. Partly because I won't argue with people who say that it adds up to something big. I think little things add up to just a lot of little things. Exactly. However, what I do notice, oh, and worse than that, or more important than that, is that if I tell you, here's a little thing, it implies you don't want to do it. And that reinforces the belief driving the whole system. So yeah. even if I get compliance on the little thing, I've reinforced what's driving everything. Because mm-hmm. if I tell someone like not to drink and drive, I don't promote drinkless driving Monday. Right. I say never, ever drink and drive. Right. It's just yeah. better not to drink and drive. But there's a big thing that I'm finding on this podcast, which is that when people... The thing is not how big the thing is. It's does the person act or not? Mm -hmm. And when I see people acting on something, then the next thing that they do, they find is easier than they expected. And so Mm -hmm. the guy who picked up 10 pieces of trash per day took it on himself without talking to me at all to stop eating meat or to lower his meat consumption. That Mm -hmm. He just Mm -hmm. spontaneously saw, I can do something I didn't realize I could do before. I could not have done the no flying without doing the no food packaging first. And I couldn't have done the no, even the no food packaging. It took me a long time to start. But once I started, I was like, I'm glad I started. So that's one of the conditions that I've, or not one of the, not constraints, but one of the things that makes it more possible is this thing does not have to solve all the world's problems overnight, all by yourself. No, I, I certainly agree with that. But I guess, as I say, as somebody who has thought about this, all of our impacts, you know, and has a pretty good idea of what my impacts are and where the big ones are and has really tried to, you know, reduce my impacts in every way that I can, 
you know, I could certainly say to you, yeah, I'm going to go pick up a piece of trash every day. And I could certainly do that, but I just don't find that I'm going to be frank and say, I don't find that a meaningful for me. That's not a meaningful gesture for me to make for someone who has really thought these things through, through pretty hard. So that's the impasse that we're at. How's that? Yeah. So that's a challenge. It's the people who care about it the most and have acted the most are the people that's the hardest. Right. Exactly. And I, as that's why I, you know, completely, as, as I said, at, at the top of this, I very much commend you for not flying. It's something that I have thought about, you know, I would have to, as I said, you know, quit my job and, and things like that and radically reorganize my life. And I think it's a very commendable thing to do, but I'm not prepared, as I say, in this podcast to go to take that step. Um, perhaps one day I will, but I, I need to reorganize things first. How's that? So should we leave it? I'm thinking of how to leave it. And yeah, I think I'm going to try to think of something because I think it is a good idea. I really don't want to in any way, you know, I, th- I think it is a good idea. I'm, as I say, I, a couple, like all the things you mentioned from composting to cutting down on your meat consumption to carpooling, and those are all things that I do. So it would not be, I, I'm trying to think of something where we could have a conversation in four or five months and I could say, I did X and it changed things and I'm not coming up with anything, but I'm going to try to. That's great. I can't ask for more because you've done a lot of things that most people are only thinking about. And it's not easy. Yeah, eventually you reach a point where it's like, there's no law hanging fruit anymore. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel that's where I am. But maybe I, if I think about it, maybe maybe I'll come up with something that I've been meaning to do and, and haven't done. How's that? Okay. And then I'll just ping you by email every now and then just to see how things are going if I don't hear from you. Uh, that sounds good. Okay. Let's see. With two things, if there's anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up, and if there's any message that you want to leave off with for the listeners. Well, I guess the only message that I want to leave off with is that I really commend you for doing this and for taking, and I think that inattention is the enemy here. Uh, and it's, there's so many distractions in modern life that the big picture, uh, there's no one thinking about the big picture, unfortunately. and it is up to us that, that, as I say, that is unfortunately part of, of adulthood is realizing, okay, there's really no one else looking out for us, but looking out for the world, the whole world, and looking out for the future generations. And that's a very, at first, an extremely alarming realization. And then it's like, as you say, then it's like, okay, let's get down to doing it. We're just going to have to do it ourselves. I see that as a message of responsibility and kind of acceptance of how things are, but... Exactly. But not, but not happiness about it. And as you're right. Not, 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 not complacency about it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, thank you. And everyone who's listening to this, please read Elizabeth Colbert's stuff. I mean, The Sixth Extinction is, how do I describe it? It's a compelling book that you will be glad you read, even though it's challenging. But that, and that covers a lot of stuff. But if you don't know this stuff, it's stuff that you wish you knew and you're glad you know. Go on Amazon. You can read a lot of reviews. It's like really... Thank you for coming on and sharing. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Elizabeth's case brought up a challenge that I see, you know, when when companies win awards for doing things for the environment, the awards often go to places like GM or Exxon, which were polluting so much that they can make really big changes. Whereas companies that made those changes long ago or that weren't polluting in the first place, it's hard for them to get that visibility. 
I'd love to hear from listeners. If you have ideas for guests who have already made big changes or don't have big changes left to make, what we can do instead if there's an alternative. I think they generally will like making changes and taking on personal challenges, but I'm open to new ideas. In Elizabeth's case, we don't have a scheduled second conversation, but I'm confident that she'll come up with something and that we will see her here again soon. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.